You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. You know, we're in a series called The Comeback, and man, it has been fun. We were planning on this being the climax, part four, the finale on Easter Sunday, but we're going to change that up a little bit. We're going to probably keep in this series until the day that we come into this building and we celebrate the comeback together again. And so, but I do want to talk about what's going on. You know, talking about the comeback, there is no greater story that we can talk about that emphasizes a comeback, that has an influence on other people's comeback, that is the catalyst behind every comeback that's ever been out there, like Easter Resurrection Sunday. There's nothing. It is by far the greatest comeback story from the beginning of time until the very end. Nothing will ever top what we are celebrating today. And I thought that, man, the easiest message as a pastor is going to be Easter. I mean, how hard can it be? You can turn it to the Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You pick one of the Easter accounts and you just read the account, right? I mean, that'd be easy and we celebrate. And I've never struggled more with a daggum message like I have for Easter. Because there's so much that's there. Like there's so much more than just his death and burial and resurrection. And at the same time, there's nothing more than his death and burial and resurrection. I have never in my spirit struggled with something so much. But I want to do my best. So if you have your Bible or a tablet or a phone, get ready to be able to jump. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 here in just a minute. But I want to just kind of set the stage. For us to understand Easter, we got to first understand just who Jesus truly is. Now, I know that seems like a silly question. If you're joining us online, most of you say, you know what, Mickey, I know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is who we're celebrating today. Jesus was born on Christmas, and he died and rose again on Easter. I know who Jesus is. I've heard about his miracles. I've heard about the story. I've heard about the way he spoke to the multitudes and fed the 5,000 and healed the sick. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's one of three parts of the Trinity. I mean, I get it. I know who Jesus is, but... I wonder sometimes if we really grasp that. You know, there was a gentleman that wrote a book. His name is Peter Stoner. He wrote a book that called Science Speaks. And in that book, he simply stated that all the prophecies that are in God's Word in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament that Jesus fulfilled, these these Messiah prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, in order to be able for one person to meet all those prophecies, And truly be who he says that he is, like Jesus said. The probability, are you ready? I want to read this so I don't mess it up. The probability of one person truly being able to do that is, you ready for this? One is 10 to the 157th power. 10 to the 157th power. What does that mean? Take 10, add 157 zeros after that, and that's the probability of all these messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled being really happening and it just being chance. You say, Mickey, why do you say that? Well, because I think it's important for us to understand who this is when we talk about this Messiah, this this man, Jesus, that came and fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies and even the things that are still to come. You know, that's a hard number to really grasp, isn't it? In that book, he also stated, trying to give you a little bit of an understanding, because I, I don't know, I mean, I mean, for me personally, you know, you get past, you know, a million, a billion, 
a trillion. I don't even know what comes after a trillion. I think it's a quadrillion. I don't know. And then what's after that? I have no idea. But 10 to the 157th power, I, I, I can't even fathom that number. So he kind of made this a word picture for us to understand just how big of a deal it is and who Jesus truly is and all these prophecies in the Old Testament that he fulfilled. Are you ready for this? He said it'd be the equivalent of taking the state of, of Texas, the state of Texas, and covering the state two feet deep in silver dollars and taking one silver dollar and putting a red X on it and then mixing it all up, taking a helicopter, kind of hovering over, going wherever you want it to go, and all of a sudden going, okay, this is the spot, and reaching down and grabbing a silver dollar and pulling it up and saying, booyah, here's the one with the red X. That's how big of a deal it is that Jesus did what he said he did. See, there's no way anybody can ever say, well, isn't that a coincidence? It's impossible. The only way, the only way Jesus can fulfill all these prophecies is he's got to be who he said that he is. There's a divine appointment that has taken place. See, I want you to understand just how big that is. In fact, can I read some of those prophecies? I, I don't want to spend a lot of time just talking. I want to be a lot in God's word. Can I read some of those prophecies and give you the references? We'll put this up later on so that you can see it. I'm going to skip the first one because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. It is a great starting point for today. But it said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That was Micah 5.2, and we know that he did. It said the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14, and we know that too, that he was. It said Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac. That's in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, Genesis 21.12. It said the Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. That's in Numbers 24.17. It said the Messiah would be heir to the King David's throne. That's 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. It said Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. That's Hosea 1, 11-1, I'm sorry. It said there would be a massacre of children that would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. That's Jeremiah 31, 15, and we know what happened, how he had to be taken. It also talks about a messenger that would prepare the way for the Messiah, and we know the story of John the Baptist, but that is in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. You know, one of them that I love is it said the Messiah would speak in parables. That's Psalm 78, 2 through 4, and Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. You know, like we look at the New Testament and see Jesus speaking in parables, and we just think it's cool because it makes us be able to easy to relate. But do you know that that was a part of the prophecy? Other Old Testament prophecies is that he would be called a king. That's Psalms 2, verse 6, and Zechariah 9, 9. The Messiah would be praised by little children. That's Psalms 8, 2. And again, we know that those things happened. Even some of the things we're going to talk about today. The Messiah would be betrayed, Psalms 41, 9, and Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Messiah would be falsely accused, Psalms 35, 11. The Messiah would be silent before his accusers. That also we know is true, Isaiah 53, 7. Messiah would be spat upon, and he would be struck. That's Isaiah 56. You know, soldiers would gamble for the Messiah's garments. That's Psalms 22, 18. Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, 9, and we know the story of Joseph of Arimathea. The Messiah would ascend to heaven, Psalms 24, 7, and 10. But then probably the greatest one, the Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53, 5 through 12. You know, I could also give you all the New Testament references with that. And what we'll do is we'll actually put together all these lists that I've got in and put it somewhere where you can find it on our social media or in the link below. But it's just an amazing reminder that not only did 
Did the Old Testament say who the Messiah was going to be? But then to watch this life, who Jesus truly was, and to watch him fulfill one prophecy after the next prophecy after the next prophecy after the next prophecy is not by chance. See, I want you to understand this Easter, before we dive into the story of the death and burial and resurrection, I want you to understand, listen to me, this is important. Jesus is who he says that he is. And when you have your friends that challenge you, you can go back. This, this is one of the most major points outside of God's word that proves just how amazing Jesus of Nazareth was, is, and always will be. Because he did it. These are records that we know. But you know, the first prophecy that I didn't mention is where I want to start today. To me, it's the beginning of the story. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was perfect. He did it in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then he created man. And he made man for one purpose, for a relationship. You know, every since the beginning of time, you know what God wanted? He wanted a relationship with you. He wanted a relationship with me. He wanted a relationship with man. You say, Mickey, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, welcome to my world, because that does not make any sense to me either. But whether it makes sense or not doesn't do, doesn't do anything as far as what it means, because it's the truth. In fact, I'll show it to you. Are you ready? In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, you'll see the scriptures on the screen as we go through this, down here at the bottom. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, he has created everything. He's created man. He's created Eve. He's Adam and Eve are sitting there, and he's given them two commandments. If we back up a little bit in chapter 2, he says, you know what, two things. Be fruitful and multiply, and oh, by the way, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you shall surely die. Well, in chapter 3, we realize what he's doing. He's going into the cool of the day, and he's going to spend time with Adam and Eve, just like he would have done every other day. In fact, if it wasn't for the choices of Adam and Eve and sin entered this world, you know what God was planning on doing for eternity? Spending time with his people. The multiplying, the being fruitful and multiply would have been more and more people for God to spend time with them. See, we were created in the beginning to live forever. He said, when you eat of the tree on that day, you will surely die. Prior to that, there was no death. Prior to sin, Scripture in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Guess what? Prior to sin entering this world, there was no death. There were no thorns. There was no thistles. There was no disease. Everything was perfect. But then listen to what happens. In the cool of the day, he comes to look at them, and I pick up reading. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God responded to Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man did what most men do when we get in trouble. He blamed somebody else. He said, the woman, she was the one that did it. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. And then listen, he looks at the woman, and and this is one of those moments, if you remember the very first part of this series, we said, 
you, you, you have these setbacks where you go, what in the world was I thinking? And that's exactly what's about to take place. Listen to how she responds. She turns around, the woman who had given him to him, and she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. And in verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? What were you thinking? And the woman said what? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. See, you know from the beginning of time, talking about comeback, there has been this battle. There's been this battle between God, Yahweh, creator of the world, the number one, only God, and this, this person, Lucifer, this person, Satan, this one that has been cast out, and there's been a battle that has been raging from the beginning of time. And you know what God desires? God desires to bring you life and to give you life more abundantly. And you know what he desires? He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. So listen to how this transpires. Are you ready? Picking up, the Lord God said to the serpent, listen to how he responds to the serpent. When he knows that it was the serpent that had deceived them, listen to what he says. Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then listen to verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, referring to the serpent, and her offspring, referring to Eve. He, being Eve's offspring shall bruise your head, and you, being a serpent, shall bruise his heel. See, the other translation, New American Standard, I really prefer that one because it doesn't use the word offspring, it says seed. See, one of the first Old Testament prophecies, in fact, the very first Old Testament prophecy that starts pointing to a Messiah that's going to come, this Jesus, this Savior of the world, is that the Savior is going to be the seed or the offspring of a woman. You say, Mickey, what what does that mean? I mean, all of us have a mom. All of us are seed of a a woman, correct? Well, no. Because, yes, all of us have a mom, but all of us also have a dad, and it's through the father in which pregnancy starts. The seed comes from the father. And in that concept, he says, you know, this is going to be a seed of a woman. You say, well, well, what does that mean? That, That means, guess what? It has to be a virgin. It's going to be something that's divinely put. See, Jesus fulfilled that in the fact that he was born of a virgin. He was looked at as God's son. He was not any son to anybody on this earth as far as a man. He was God's son because he was seed of a woman. You know, it's really cool if you look at this because it also gives us the promise If you remember last week, I talked a little bit about the fact that if we will look at God's promises, it'll give us the ability to call for a rematch. Because we'll understand really where the victory is. And I want to reread this just so you really see it. It's in verse 15 at the very end. It says, he, referring back to this offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head. And you, talking about the servant, shall bruise his heel. You know, the cool part that's sitting there is, you say, what's the significance? Well, a bruising of the head is the aspect of a fatal blow. In other words, you kill it. If I, if I see a snake on the ground and I stomp on its head, you know what I do? I kill it. 
The bruising of a heel is not a fatal blow. It's only something that you do to slow something down. Can I put this in 2020 English? From the very beginning of time, God has desired to have a relationship with you. And through this prophecy, through Jesus Christ, you know what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is going to kill. He's going to kill. He's going to destroy that which has brought about death, Satan. But all Satan's ever going to do is slow you down. In other words, when you start thinking about some of the things that you're battling and the comebacks that are in your life, you need to know that God has made you more than a conqueror. You say, but why do I stumble? Why do I find myself slowing down? You know why? Because there's something that's nipping at your heel. But don't be discouraged because it will not be fatal. If you look to Christ as the Savior of your life and the Savior of this world, then he has made you more than a conqueror. You shall also conquer this thing called death. And you will not have a fatal blow to you. You only have Satan trying to nip at your heels. You know, the result of this, if you keep reading it, has God talking to Adam. And he cast him out of the garden. And he says, listen, verse 19. He says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You know, the reason why I read that, verse 19, is because it sets the stage of what's going to be a major rematch. See, the first battle that happened between, between God, man, and Satan, if we were to look at it, man, it looks like Satan won. We went from having everything perfect, being eternal creatures, going to live forever. And because of the choices that we made, not that God made, but the choices that we made, the repercussions of those choices are still in our life today. Nothing more obvious than COVID-19. Do you know that prior to sin entering this world, there was no death and no disease? Now, I'm not here to say or talk a whole lot about that, but you just need to know that the wages of sin is death, and that really reaps and extends its arms so much further than we ever realized. But you also need to know that this is when we know that death entered the world. It said, from dust you were created, and to dust you will return. That was the first of two major battles that God and Satan went after because of him wanting to have a relationship with you. Can I tell you about the second, the rematch? This is great because it's, it's in a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And yes, it's why we celebrate Easter. But it's one of those concepts that it wasn't more than just, just a rematch. It was actually the beginning of the end for everything as we know it. See, after this, when sin entered this world, then God still loved his people. And he set up this Levitical law and they had a sacrificial or a sacrificial system. And they still could sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. And they would go to a high priest. But God already knew, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, we already have preludes or, or prophecies pointing to a Messiah that's going to come. And guess what? God calls for a rematch. You know it as Christmas. When all of a sudden, God takes the form of a baby. And he's born into this world. But he came with a distinct purpose. He came with one simple purpose in the fact that he wanted to reestablish the fact that you were meant to be an eternal creature and that you were going to live together 
And he did not want you to live separate from him, but he wanted you to live forever with him. And so because of that, this battle that takes place when Jesus enters the world really is kind of based on on what I call three to four different rounds. The first round, you probably remember, it's right after Jesus was born and he goes and sees John the baptizer and he's fixing to launch his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you have the temptations of Christ. You know what, God, you know what happens in that situation? Satan himself tries to deceive Christ and Christ uses all that he is, being fully man yet fully God, and turns down every temptation and stays pure so that he could be the ultimate atonement for your sin. But it didn't stop there. Because that didn't work, then you know what Satan started doing? Read the New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He started to try to create an upheaval within the church with these Pharisees, these scribes, and these different people so that he could get rid of this, this person called Jesus, this Messiah that has come that is healing the sick and causing the blind to see, and he's speaking truth in the temple. And people are going from a, from a lifestyle of sacrificial uh, ritual into personal relationship with God. See, that's what Satan has always despised from the very beginning. He does not want you to have a personal relationship with Yahweh God. And you know what Jesus' whole purpose was? He wanted to give you a bridge. See, Satan thought he won in the garden. He's like, wow, look at what I've done. Yeah, I'm going to spend all this time on my belly eating dust, but look at what I've done. I have created this concept where man can no longer be in a garden and man cannot have communion with God because sin has separated it. But then Holy Week happened. Hopefully you were able to join us this last week as we looked at all the different concepts of the Holy Week. But can I just kind of preface what's taking place? Jesus has entered the scene and at age 30 he starts a three-year ministry that literally turns the world upside down. He never leaves a radius more of about 200 miles. And he's going around this sea of Galilee and into the holy places. And he's teaching in the temple. And he's teaching God's word. And he's pronouncing who he is. And he's taking these 12 disciples. One was a knucklehead that we're going to read about in a minute, Judas. And he's literally watching his own life being perfect, living without sin, and loving people and loving his father. Well, this has caused quite an uproar in the church. And this Holy Week that started last Sunday that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, when he enters Jerusalem and they are celebrating and they're laying down palm leaves and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. All of a sudden, this is taking a major, major turn in this, this battle that's been raging. Well, Jesus doesn't take long on the second day. He kind of puts a stake in the ground. On that Monday, he goes back into Jerusalem, and he goes straight to the temple, and he starts flipping the tables and telling everybody, you have made my father's house into a den of robbers when it has always been intended to be a house of prayer. Well, you can only imagine how the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the Sanhedrin are taking, because this is the way they've been, been making their money and setting up this ritual law and, and kind of abusing people's need for God to benefit their own concepts. Well, it doesn't stop there, though. I, I want to read some of the things that happened during Holy Week just so we don't miss anything leading up to this. Not only did we have this stuff going on with Holy Week, 
But we also had these different events where he shows up and he flips the, the tables over. And then on that Tuesday, he, he is, on the Monday, he was going in and he saw this fig tree. And, and it's amazing the story that takes place because the fig tree looked like it should have fruit on it. But when he came to it hungry, it had no fruit. So he cursed the fig tree because of the hypocrisy that it looked like it should bear fruit, but it didn't. And that tree never bore fruit again. He also comes and clears the temple, as I talked about. He also has these temple con- uh, controversies in Jerusalem that he has where he's talking to these Pharisees and these scribes. In fact, that's where we get these woes, you Pharisees and scribes, you brood of vipers. Because he's starting to let them know that they're like, they're like washed womb tombs. In other words, they're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look great, but the inside, they are dead bones. And he's starting to, profl- he's starting to display to everybody what the main message is. Well, in that process, everything changed in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. And that's where I want us to pick up with the story of Easter. Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 2 says this. You'll see the scripture at the bottom. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, referring to Jesus. For they feared the people. See, this rematch has been declared. And Jesus has entered into this Holy Week with the understanding that he would never leave Jerusalem the same way that he entered. And because of all the healings and all the teachings and all the miraculous things that were starting to take place leading up to the Passover that they would celebrate, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, and these religious leaders go, you know, we got to do something about this guy. And you know what they feared? They didn't fear Jesus. Listen to what it said. They feared the people. See, the amazing thing that I want to chase just a real quick rabbit is you have always, your testimony and the way God uses your everyday ordinary life and the way you overcome different setbacks in your life through Christ has always spoke the loudest volume to other people. That's what they were fearful of. But guess who shows up on the scene again? Can I read the next verse? Not only did they want to put Jesus to death, but look at verse 3. Then Satan, here he is again, entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. See, this battle is raging. It's a battle that has started from the beginning of time. In fact, it's a battle that that preexisted where he had been cast out. From heaven. And it's one of those things that that he was trying to now show up on the scene with this man named Judas Iscariot. Well, we know from the story what takes place. Judas betrays Christ. Christ is arrested. He is taken in front of different councils. They are plotting to kill him. And everywhere he goes, whether it be Herod or whether it be Pilate, they both say, you know what? We find nothing wrong with this man. They accuse him. They ask him questions. He remains silent. They beat him. They spit on him. In fact, Pilate even beats him, trying to release him back, saying, look, did I not already punish him enough? And the crowd turns because these religious leaders, and they say, no, crucify him. You know, that's where I want to pick up the story as far as the way this is in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 27 starting in verse 24. And this is a little bit of reading, but just bear with me, okay? Pilate. So when Pilate saw 
that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scored Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Verse 7. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisted together a crown of thorns that they put on his head. And put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 32. As they went out, they found a man named Simon by name. They compelled him to carry the cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of skull, they offered him wine to drink, but he tasted it, and he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by made fun of him, waging wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and, he will, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also did the same. You know, the story that's going on, and you've heard it so many times, Jesus has been beaten. You say, Mickey, how bad? So bad that he couldn't even carry the beam of his cross. He couldn't even carry the cross beam of his cross. They had to get somebody to help him. All of this has transpired. He went to a garden understanding what was about to take place after partaking in the Lord's Supper, the Passover with his disciples. And he goes to a garden to pray. He's sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. But then he says these words, but not mine, but then. But not mine, but thou. And immediately what transpires. After that, all of a sudden these people come and they arrest him. They falsely accuse him. They find nothing wrong with him. But these Sanhedrin have said, you know, we have got to get rid of this man because of the effect he's having on people. Just like today, a lot of your setbacks are struggles. Do you know why you have struggles? Because people know that with Christ, just how powerful you are. Don't let your struggles be fatal blows. Make sure your struggles are nipping at your heel, not bruising your head. Remember, God is the giver of life. And people may slow you down by nipping at your heels, but God has given you life where you can overcome the setbacks. And that's what he's showing us. He gets betrayed with a kiss. He gets crucified on a cross. And let's pick up the story of what's about to happen. It's round four of this battle. 
and there's a battle that's raging. Satan has come on the scene. He's helped people to be, be overcome by their anger. He's entered Judas to, to make Judas betray Jesus. Jesus has gotten to Golgotha. And then listen to verse 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabathion. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In John, it talks about how he says, and this, it is finished. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, there were into the holy city and appeared to many. When the satyrian and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. You know, in that moment, I can only imagine the feelings that were hitting everybody. One man, this centurion soldier, this Roman soldier is going, you know what? Surely this was the Son of God. But on the other side of it, every one of them was probably thinking, it's over. What have we done? You know, some translations, when you go into different synoptic gospels, talks about Peter and some of the other ones, like they're going back to go fishing. They're going back to, to life as they know it. Like they don't know what to do after Jesus appears and then ascends to heaven. Like they're just going back to everyday normal life. But in this particular moment, the whole world has went dark. And people for the first time, this, this veil has been torn and God is calling out the rematch. He's saying, you know what? There will no longer be separation between me and my people. My son, Jesus Christ's death will allow you to have a relationship with me. But it was more than just the death that he wanted to conquer. Can I pick up the story? Starting in verse 57. And when it was even, evening... There was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linens and shrouds and laid it in on his tomb. That's important because I want you to understand where the linens and where the cloths come from. Picking up in verse 62, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive, that after three days he would rise again. Therefore, order to the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, 
You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can so that they went away and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. You know, the amazing part of this story and part of this comeback is at this particular moment in time, and I know it's hard for us to imagine this because we know how the story ends, but for this point in time, they thought they won. They thought it was over. In fact, you know what the title of this message is? Part four of the comeback? It's not over till it's over. Can you hear me for just a second? I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you've been dealing with. I can only imagine with everything we're dealing with, this COVID-19, and all these different things that we're struggling with and trying to know what's next. But you need to know, from God's perspective, Even though we don't know what's next, God has a plan. And you know what his biggest plan is? It's not over until God says it's over. So then comes day three. It's why we celebrate Easter. Chapter 28, verse 1. 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath, toward toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, oh, these words, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen and he said come see the place where he lay you know those are emotional words because when everybody thought it was over he was just getting started that's what I want you to hear just because you may think things are over you need to know that God is just Getting started. And that's why we celebrate Easter. It's more than, than Jesus' death and, and burial and resurrection. It's, it's more, but at the same time, that's everything. See, it's more because, because Him being our Lord and Savior, Him taking our sin upon Himself through His death, being the perfect Lamb, through His sacrifice, And then him raising from the dead, him conquering that death, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. See, in that moment, Jesus lifted his foot and he killed the serpent. He bruised his head. See, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift, is eternal life. See, through Easter, you no longer have to worry about where you're going to spend eternity. Through Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, he says that you could have life and have life more abundantly. You say, wow, what a comeback. Isn't that a great story? It's not over. It's not over. In fact, there's one more thing that I want to give you before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we do that in remembrance of him. There is one particular account in the gospel of John. Remember when I was talking about those linens? 
And it's talking about like where those came from. There's one thing that if you're not careful, you could read through it so quickly and not see the significance. Do you mind if I read it? It's in John chapter 20. It's starting in verse 6. And it says this. Then Simon Peter came. Following him, he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus, he saw lying at the head with the linen cloth, but folded up in place by itself. So let me kind of set the stage for you. What he's seeing is Peter's went into the tomb. He sees that Jesus is not there. He sees all the, the cloth that has been wrapped around the body laying in a pile. But he sees this, this face cloth folded in place neatly at the head of the tomb where he would have been laying. You say, Mickey, okay, that, what does that mean? Well, you got to know Hebrew tradition. Hebrew tradition will tell you the significance of that amazing folded cloth. See, Hebrew tradition is between a master and a servant. When the master went to the table to eat, he would eat, and the servant would not dare touch the table until he knew the master was done. So they had a symbol in Hebrew tradition of how they would know. If the master was done, he would fold up his clothes, and he would throw it either on the table or that, that cloth. He would take that napkin and he would wad it up and he would either throw it on the table or throw it down beside the table to signify that I'm done. But if the master was not done, if he was going to come back to finish what he started, he would take that napkin and he would fold it and he would place it at his place. See, what that scripture is talking about is even though the crucifixion was the catalyst to our faith, God's still not done. Jesus ascended to heaven and left his spirit, his helper for us. But you know what? His comeback is still not over. In fact, his comeback, if we were to turn into Revelation, does not finish until the trumpet sounds and the clouds break and he comes to receive all of his people. And he puts that serpent, that Satan, in an abyss and locks and chains where he will dwell forever. And he sets up a new heaven and a new earth. See, the end of the story is the very beginning of the story. When we dwell with God forever. See, that's the story of Easter. It's the launching of a precious little face cloth that's folded on a tomb, that's laying right where he was laying, that's telling us, I'm still not done. I'm coming back. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.